0: You have shuffled and turned up 2.1, a Netrunner reboot project podcast. Episode 31 Perfect Companion. Hey, this is Remy. The title card for this week's episode is Jackson Howard. The flavor text on which says, It is my job to ensure our creations are the perfect companions and edutainment for tomorrow's consumers. And if there's any question about whether Jackson Howard is evil, certainly it is his use of the word edutainment. Uh, I have a lot to say about Jackson Howard. That will be a good chunk of the episode. But we're also covering other cards. There were, there were actually other cards released in opening moves for the Corp. We'll cover those as well. But to begin with, we're going to get into some more spoilers for the upcoming booster. Precognition. More spoilers from Style and Slander, the third booster for the Reboot Project. We went through a two weeks' worth of spoilers last time. This time we have a little less than one week's worth. This particular booster is focusing on two particular factions. It's mainly about NBN and Criminal. Uh, there were a couple of cards for every other faction as well. So mostly what we're looking at this week is the NBN stuff. And then next time around, we'll catch the remainder of the criminal cards. But we do still have one other Gintechi card to cover. That is Recycling Plant. It is an asset with a res cost of one and a trash cost of three. When your turn begins, you may trash one card from HQ. If you do, gain one credit and draw one card. Then our five NBN cards that we have remaining. First is Ankle Biter, an illicit sentry with a res cost of five and a strength of four. It's also four influence. It's illicit, so when you res it, you take a bad publicity. has two subroutines. The first, add an installed runner card to their grip, and the second, end the run. The new NBN identity, uh, NBN did not get one of the collaboration identities, is Sizzler, Igniting the Discourse, a 45-15, whenever you score an agenda with a different name than each other agenda in your score area, gain two credits and remove one bad publicity. Now, even though it says each other agenda, and maybe another, I think it might be rephrased, a different name than any other agenda that may be in your score area, it works even if it's the first agenda you score. Retrospective is an operation for NBN with a cost of four and three influence. You gain seven credits plus an additional credit for each differently named agenda in your score area. So if you have no agendas scored, it's going to be cost four, gain seven, so it's basically beanstalk, except you have to have four credits to use it. If you have scored one agenda, well now it's as good as a hedge fund, but it costs one less to play. If you have two agendas scored, again they have their different agendas, different names. Well, now it's restructure, which doesn't exist yet, but if you're paying any attention to this part, then uh, you know what restructure is. But instead of costing 10, it costs 4. And if you have three agendas that are differently named, well, now it's really good. Now it's amazing because it's gaining gaining you 6, and you only have to have 4 up front. Gish Gallop is a 3-1 agenda. If this card is installed when your turn begins, you may score it. So that's interesting. And then do diligence, an operation with a cost of one, three influence. Play only if the runner is tagged. And then you search R&D for a Grey Ops operation. Or I guess it could be, I don't know if all Grey Ops, are all Grey Ops cards operations? Anyway, a Grey Ops card. And then play it although you have to pay the cost to play it. So there are a few more mostly NBN spoilers, and we'll get the remainder of the criminal spoilers next time. (music) Feedback filter. Yes, I know this is an unusual place in the episode for any feedback, but um, uh, it's going to break the flow if I drop it into the very end of the episode. It's just one little detail, well, I guess a couple of little things. Um, first, I made a mistake in the recording in last week's episode. I said that the Winter Worlds Finals was between V-Slice and Goblin Mode. That was not correct. Between V-Slice and Gaslight, I misunderstood what was going on in the video uh, that I shared that I linked in the show notes last week. And um, there's been some issues with the feed. Uh, Maybe you have not been getting the episodes correctly. I know Spotify in particular was not showing up right. First, I had a typo in the RSS file, the XML file, the RSS feed. And so it was pointing to The same episode twice and so spotify just didn't show either one and then for episode 30 i was weird i uploaded i uploaded the rss feed first or updated it and then only later remembered to go and put the file in and so because i did that it just confused spotify to no end so hopefully that's all sorted out but if you ever have any issues The easiest way to get a hold of me is in the Discord, in the 2.1 channel. Uh, Thanks to Huggin Ronan for bringing that to my attention. And uh, you can also send me an email or whatever. Let me know if you're having any issues with that. (music) Satellite Uplink. Opening moves on the Corp side. Again, there were 9 runner cards and 11 corp cards in opening moves, the first data pack in the spin cycle, the second cycle of data packs in Netrunner. Of those 11 corp cards, 7 received an adjustment, and one of those adjustments is a nerf. Uh, Each faction, including the neutral cards, gets 2. Well, NBN gets 3, but every other grouping gets 2. The nerf is the one we'll mention first in passing, it is from NBN. It is Jackson Howard, an asset with a res cost of 0 and a trash cost has been reduced from 3 to 2. It's just one influence. Has two abilities: click, draw 2 cards and remove it from the game, shuffle up to 3 cards from archives into R&D. We'll talk about Jackson more later. The 6 buffs First for HB, Project Ares, a four two agenda. When you score it, the runner trashes one installed card per advancement token over four. It used to be over four. You had to over advance the card. Now it is over two. And then if at least one card is trashed, you take a bad publicity. Artwork here from Emilio Rodriguez, he of the, as I've mentioned before, my Some of my favorite artwork, the vast, sprawling landscapes and corporation buildings. That's not what this artwork is, though. Uh, Two of the NBN cards receive buffs. Character Assassination, a 4-2 agenda. When you score it, you can trash now two resources instead of just one. That cannot be prevented. And Invasion of Privacy a double operation with a cost now of 0 instead of 2 it's 3 influence and it has a ability to trace 2 reveal the runner's grip and then trash resources or events as many as the difference between your the trace strength between ultimately what your trace is and the runner's link both wayland cards receive buffs geothermal fracking a 4-2 agenda. That when scored, receives two agenda counters, and you can click and spend an agenda counter to gain now nine credits instead of seven, along with a bad publicity. And Swarm, an advanceable illicit sentry. Its res cost has been reduced from 8 to 3. It is strength 5, also 4 influence. It's illicit, so when you res it, you take a bad publicity. And each advancement on the card gives it a subroutine. That subroutine says, trash one program unless the runner pays three credits. Artwork from Ed Matinian. One of the neutral cards receives a buff, Grim, an illicit sentry. with a res cost of five. Well, it used to be five. Now it's four. And the strength is five. Again, when you res it, you take a bad publicity, and the subroutine says Trash One Program. The artwork here from Liga Smilshkane. The four cards for the corp that did not receive changes. HB's Next Bronze, a code gate with a a res cost of two and a strength of zero, but it has one extra strength for each resed next card. Next card? or Next Ice. Hmm, I don't remember. It's Next Ice. It's also two influence, has just one subroutine, end the run, art from Edmontinian. Both Jinteki cards are unchanged, Celebrity Gift, a double operation with a cost of three, and of course the extra click, and three influence. Reveal up to five cards in HQ, then gain two credits for each card you revealed. Matt Zeilinger did, did the artwork for the uh, teacup giraffe on the card. And Himitsu Bako, a barrier with a res cost of two and a strength of two. It's also two influence. For one credit, you can add it to HQ. Its subroutine is end the run. And the other neutral card, Cyberdex Trial, an operation with a cost of zero. Purge virus counters. Very simple. The at a glance data pack reviews from Reddit, that I don't always remember to include, said that for HB, a good card in this pack is Next Bronze. For Genteki a good card is Himitsubako and a great card is Celebrity Gift. And then for any corp, Jackson Howard. And it says, one of the best corp cards for any faction. But again, we'll talk about Jackson Howard more a little bit later. Looking at the pre-constructed decks for the Reboot Project, one deck has, for Next Bronze and Character Assassination, each of those cards appears in one deck. Uh, The cards that appear in two different of the pre-constructed decks include Celebrity Gift and Himitsubako, they both go in Genteki, Himitsubako a one of in that Jinte- in those two Genteki decks. and Grimm, although both decks it goes into are Wayland. And then 12 of the 13 pre-constructed decks have three Jackson Howard in them. That's the same rate as hedge fund to give you an idea of how much of a staple that card is. Uh, But again, we'll talk about Jackson Howard a little more later. The source. The corp nerf in opening moves is Jackson Howard. Here's what the big boy says about it. Jackson is essential for a healthy game. but was too much negative tempo for the runner to trash. The runner should be happy when they access a Jackson and get to eliminate it, not miserable about how much it costs to deal with. And so the reduction of trash cost from three to two makes it that much more palatable. And again, much more about Jackson Howard yet to come. A matrix Analyzer Let's talk about the corp buffs in opening moves, starting with Project Ares. So, as I mentioned, Project Ares previously required being over-advanced to benefit from the ability. But now, if you score it, you've advanced it two times beyond the two requirement. And so you automatically trigger that, and two installed cards will be trashed. But you can trash more by over-advancing it. Now, why is this a good change? Well, let me share this Netrunner DB review from Tide Vortex, which was posted at the time of Data and Destiny's release. Therefore, it covers pretty much the exact card pool of the reboot project. This is, he says, in my opinion, the worst agenda in the game. Firstly, it's a 4-2 in a faction with 2 three twos, Accelerated Beta Test and Project Vitruvius. If you aren't planning on overscoring Ares, then it's a blank 4-2, which makes it strictly inferior to Project Vitruvius, or another in-faction 4-2 efficiency committee, which at least gives you three extra clicks. So you would have to overscore it to make it worthwhile. It's not too difficult to over-advance it by one, you're effectively scoring a five-advance agenda and getting one less point, which is justifiable if you're getting enough value. But if you only overscore by one, then the result is simply the runner trashes one of his or her installed cards and you take one bad publicity. That is a terrible deal. Consider this. One of the best runner cards in the game is Desperado because it gives you a credit after every successful run. A bad publicity gives you a free credit before every, one, every run, whether or not it is successful, meaning that a bad publicity is more valuable than the best console in the game, and the runner would gladly make that trade, especially since you are never going to hit their desperado. It's the runner's choice, so they're just going to trash a spare clone chip or data sucker or a symmetrical visage or... Something else they don't really need and can easily replace. So scoring Project Aries as a 4-2 is bad, and scoring it as a 5-2 is actively worse. But you only ever take one bad publicity. Maybe it could be efficient if you go for six advancements. But again, if you're going to try to score an agenda for six points, you could score a mandatory upgrades or a vanity project that's a 6-4 agenda that we don't have yet. Scoring a four-point agenda or getting an extra click every turn is vastly superior to telling the runner to trash two cards and taking a bad publicity. So Aries is still bad with six advancements. Let's take it up to 11. 11 advancements, that is, give or take. If you can pull it off, you can utterly destroy the runner's entire rig. With no breakers and no economy, you are basically assured victory. This is the optimal play for this card, giving you the best return for that bad publicity. But even at its best, Aries falls short of other agendas. Any technique to score something with 9 advancements or more could be better applied to Government Takeover, which is a 9-6 agenda, or Project Beal, Likely winning you the game outright. The fact is, this is simply not a good card, and I don't foresee that ever changing. Well, how about if you make it so that it automatically trashes two cards with just the one bad publicity? Well, that's a much better card, and so that is a good change. Uh, Invasion of Privacy is one of the other buffs. I'm curious to watch how the costing of doubles goes. Because so far, three of the four doubles that we have seen, uh, that's frame job, hostage, invasion of privacy, and then celebrity gift is the fourth. Three of them have gone from a cost of, from a cost of something to zero. Frame job has gone from costing one to zero, hostage from one to zero, invasion of privacy from two to zero. Only celebrity gift has not been reduced in price, and that's because it's just a good card. So uh, is that going to be a con- that going to be a continual? Is that just a continual theme that all of the doubles are pretty much overcosted? I haven't looked ahead, so we'll see. I'll try to remember to check in on this when we cover the second pack. Swarm. Is another subroutineless advanceable ice for Wayland's package of ice, along with Woodcutter, Tyrant, and Salvage, all considered pretty bad. Tyrant, not terrible, because it's a five strength uh, barrier, no, four strength barrier that costs five. But they've all received hefty adjustments to their price, to their price to res. Salvage has gone from costing two to zero in reboot. Woodcutter from 4 to 0, Tyrant from 7 to 5, Swarm from 8 to 3. That's the biggest reduction in cost, going down by 5. It's a strength 5. It's got a hefty subroutine. Um, so we'll get to it in a bit. So the fact that it still costs 3 means it's not completely useless. Otherwise, it would have dropped it all the way down to 0, like with Salvage and Woodcutter, I think but that's for another segment. Ice Analyzer. So here's our new segment that we're going to use instead of Data Sucker for taking a look at the different ice that enters the game. We've got four new pieces of ice. Let's talk about the end the runs, starting with Next Bronze. So Next Bronze is a code gate It is a res of two and a strength of zero. Except that it's always going to cost, going to be a strength of one because it's looking at how many other next ice do you have? How many next, not other. The word other is not there. How many next ice do you have? It will always be one of those. So it is really effectively always a one strength piece of ice. But until another next piece comes along at the beginning of the um, next cycle. It's never going to be more than three strength, right? Because you can run all three copies of next bronze, and if you have them all res, they're all going to be three strength. But they're going to be three strength code gates. So yog is just going to sail right through. And for Gordian Blade, even it's only going to cost you two, as if you have all three res. So, With its one subroutine, it's just binary end-the-run ice. However, it's the only the second binary end-the-run code gate we have, the other one being Enigma. Enigma costs three, and next bronze only costs two. So there's a potential use case for it there. Our other end-the-run is Himitsu Bako, and it is now the only two-strength barrier in the card pool, or it's the first one, rather, that we're coming across. Now, it doesn't make any difference to Corroder. Uh, Corroder breaks Himitsubako for 1, just like it breaks Ice Wall for 1. And really, you see, Ice Wall is Res 1, Strength 1. Himitsubako Res 2, Strength 2. Wall of Static is Res 3, Strength 3. And, uh, oh, what is the one we just got in Creation and Control? Res 4, Strength 4, Bastion. So we see this one-to-one on the, the cost. So it doesn't make any difference to corroder. Uh, it's the extra strength, the dings, the shape refractor, snowball, and inti real hard. But still, we're looking at a binary and the run ice. And that, that, that one credit to bring it back to your hand. Why? I mean, I guess you can bring it back if, well, there are shenanigans you can pull, right? So you can pull it back, and put it down somewhere else if you want to. Maybe the, the corp doesn't know, that runner doesn't know what you've put down. You can bring it back if you're trying to fill out your hand You to, to maybe they'll draw that card instead of the agenda that's in your hand. If you have this protecting Jackson Howard, you can uh, pull back this card, pop the Jackson, and then that server disappears. And so if the runner is counting on having a successful run, it's no longer a successful run. These all seem like edge cases. Uh, if you have a better idea for what you're going to use that one credit ability for Himitsubako to bring it back to your hand, I'm interested in what it might be. But otherwise, this is just a way for Genteki to save some influence. It's not as good as Icewall. It serves the same function as Icewall for the most part, binary and the run. But it doesn't cost influence for Genteki. We also have two pieces of taxing ice. Grim is the, one, is the neutral one. It costs Garrot 4 to break, only costs Ninja 3. So we're on the low end of an analog taxing ice. But the obvious drawback is that it gives the runner an extra credit to spend on every future run. So you're probably wanting to put this in a corp deck that's trying to win quickly. And so let's come back to Swarm. So in order, of course, from the jump, it's nothing. Like you res it the first time and it's just, it literally does nothing. There's no subroutine on it. But once you've spent an extra click and an extra credit to advance it once, well, now it actually gives, it's the same tax as grim, because they're both Strength 5. They both have one subroutine. and. uh so it's on the low end of analog taxing. It also costs one less than Grimm to res and doesn't give it bad publicity. So it's not terrible for being an advanced that has to that doesn't have any subroutines to start with. But on the other hand, it doesn't just give one additional option for that tax, but two. They can either choose to lose a program or pay three credits. Or if they have a breaker, a killer, they can choose to uh, to break it for four with Karat, still just three for Ninja. So they'll probably pay the three credits the first time, unless they have Ninja out. Probably they're not going to lose the program. I would think that's typically not the cost you would want to pay. So typically think of this as it costs three credits if it's got one sub. Now if you've got two subs on it, two programs or six credits, that's pretty significant. Or you can Uh, break it for five with Garot or four with Ninja. So now it's cheaper to break with the killer, your typical, your good killer, rather than, of course, Fairy can handle it much more easily, but typical to break with your your good killers rather than having to pay the tax. And so now that's probably where they're going to to want to go find that killer. So at this point, you've invested five credits, right, three to res, used to be eight, (laughs) three to res, uh, one more to advance and one more to advance a second time, five credits, and those two extra clicks for the advancing. So if you think of a click as being a credit, you've spent seven things to get uh, Swarm into this position. You could have spent seven credits to res Flare, and its that, that subroutine is better, I think. Well, the trade-off, though, is that you're able to pay for Swarm this way in installments, and of course it's in Wayland, and if you don't want to import Flare. And you're able to pay it, and so there's just a trade-off, the installment plan. It's always about the trade-offs with these cards, isn't it? Do you, uh, it's a little bit better in this way, a little bit worse in this way. Anyway, so, next Bronze and Himitsu both binary and the run. Grim and Swarm, both the low end of analog taxing ice. I'll have an updated ice chart for this point in the card pool in the show notes. <music> Mandatory upgrades. Jackson Howard. All right, here we go. Uh, you know, I said last week that my goal is to have shorter episodes. I think I'm going to miss that goal. I don't know how long this is going to run, but I don't think it's going to be a shorter episode. Of the preconstructed decks, as I said already, there's only one of the 13 that does not run three of Jackson Howard. It's the Yolo Grendel deck. So the fact that every other pre-constructed deck uses three Jackson Howard is widely applicable. Obviously, NBN doesn't have to pay the influence for it, but every other faction is, I mean, is willing to pay the influence. The only other card that that's true for, as I said, was hedge fund. So you can really think of Jackson Howard as being as indispensable as hedge fund. And it does a lot. We're going to talk about a lot of the different things that it's able to do. But the first thing that comes to mind, that I always has come to mind for me that it does, is it helps you with being flooded with agendas. And so since that's like, it helps with that variance. You just have a bad draw, or you mulligan into a bad, even worse. You've, we've all had that happen, right? You draw four agendas and you mulligan into five or something like that. So Jackson Howard is the solution to that problem. There's a uh, this really funny anyway this, this, this funny thing that was posted on Reddit. It's a, a corruption of the Our Father prayer from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, posted by Raven GM with some help from Skater for Sale back in June of 2014. It goes like this: Our Jackson, who art in my deck, Howard be thy name, thy install come. Thy drawing be done in all decks, as it is in NBN. Give us this day our daily cred, and forgive us our trashed agendas, as we also have forgiven wizard for trashing you. And lead us not into agenda flood, but deliver us from R and D lock. For thine is the deck and the OP and the glory forever and ever. GG. It's uh, funny. So I had a couple questions in advance of this episode that I dropped into the 2.1 channel in Discord. And I will share with you a couple of the answers that I was given. There was a little bit more discussion in there. You're welcome to go read it. But My questions were this. One, why is this an NBN card? Which is to say, why does every other corp have to pay influence in order to use this necessary effect, could it not just have been neutral, even with one influence if necessary? And has Reboot adjusted anything to compensate for this? It doesn't seem like the IDs have just been given a flat, plus three influence, for example. 2. Why does the card have two powerful effects? The ability to work around agenda flood is obvious and one I've always understood. I didn't understand the power of the card draw part until I got here. I never shook my fear of throwing things away. that was born from the first year of playing the game. Is it just that the ability to draw a lot hinges directly on digging things out of archives, such that they simply need to be on the same card? Goblin Mode answered that question by saying, I think it's very important that Jackson does both draw and shuffle back. It wouldn't work any other way. The big boy mentioned that Jackson is fundamentally more interactive than just, say, putting this ability on the basic corp card is a basic action, because you can trash him from centrals. His existence promotes early game attacking. Many Gabe games are won by trashing a central Jackson. See, it's that kind of insight. That's the sort of thing that seems so obvious once it's said. But yeah, how do you deal with Jackson Howard? You he you put him, The court puts him out. You run to trash him. The court just uses him. You never trash Jackson if he's installed. But if you can get at him from R and D, right? Get rid of him there then you take that ability away from the corp. So it incentivizes the runner to go attack R&D early and go find those Jacksons. And cleric had quite a bit more to say. I'm going to share a couple pieces of that. He says, So supposing we grant that the reshuffling three is needed, it's tricky to say for sure how good the drawing is. It's at its best for mitigating bad RNG when you want to score but can't find agendas and kind of at its worst if you're just using it to draw and play money or something which is a nice distribution of strength but yeah all that all that said reboot did put it to trash too along with buffing other corp to- tools and nerfing runner threats making the situation less dire than it was at the original time of release regarding the first question that's the one about that I had about Why isn't it just neutral? There's been some discussion of this earlier, which might be good to dig up, but the short version is that putting Jackson to neutral effectively means giving NBN IDs minus three influence, which doesn't seem necessary. Nor does giving all factions plus three influence seem required, which is another way to do it. Overall, the NBN IDs all seemed to need help with the removal of Astroscript. Remembering remembering that AstroScript is, in its original printed form, you, it was just like a, a paid ability to free advance something. In Reboot, it's been limited by saying that you, the card can't be installed this turn to be advanced. FFG handled it by limiting AstroScript origi- eventually to one per deck. NSG has handled it by not having AstroScript. So it needed some adjustment in some way. So it's taken away. It makes NBN weaker that it's not there. Cleric goes on to say, and I should say Cleric is one of the two main guys behind the reboot project. Um, The big boy is sort of the lead design. And then the Cleric cleric is on the development side, the playtesting side, as well as the technology side. Anyway, he goes on to say, I get the aesthetic desire for a ubiquitously useful effect nearly all corpse play to be neutral. I'm just saying I think balance-wise, making Jackson neutral would probably also require giving NBN IDs influence to compensate, so it'd be a wash. I think the big boy has somewhat differing opinions on it, but for me, it'd be one of the things I might change if I was actually remaking Netrunner seeing as there doesn't seem to be a balanced reason to do the change best to not do it for reboot and one of the suggestions he had was again doing something where you make it like a basic more like a basic Corp ability in some way which is what the big boy is referencing when he said if it's that then the runner can't interact with it as much uh, going on with cleric like if we did give all other corpse plus three influence suddenly Grendel which doesn't play Jackson, gets a boost, and it doesn't seem like they really need it. Then Aowashi and Cleric also had a sort of philosophical discussion about the state of late fantasy flight and early null signal versions of the game because they didn't feature Jackson Howard. And Aowashi was like, yeah, but it was fine. And Cleric was like, yeah, but I didn't like it. (laughs) And so there are, that's the, the missing Jackson, Jackson Howard missing really, it's a huge impact in the game. However, Cleric's first comment was this. I think part of Jackson Howard's power level can be explained by the state of Corp at the time. You might have a look at, uh, he provided an address for a StimHack article called Netrunner Episode 4, A New Hope, which is ancient, of course. Basically, Corp's really needed the boost. And so, well, that sounds like a segment. <music> Archived Memories, Netrunner, Episode 4, A New Hope. Uh, That's a reference to uh, a little movie uh, you might have heard of, some space movie. Anyway, so this is another article from Alex Rockwell, which I was trying to avoid using. He was very prolific in the early days of Fantasy Flight's Netrunner. I was trying to avoid using another one of his articles so, so soon but this one is just explains everything about Jackson so well. It's also kind of long. So here's where I'm going to really run myself out of time. But I'm just gonna go ahead and read this article because it just explains Jackson and it it maybe helped me to internalize his power a little bit better. Because when I was when I was originally playing the game, I've mentioned before, I played this game from release. So at the point Jackson came around, I'd been playing for a year everybody's like, Jackson goes in every deck. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like something that goes in every deck. I'm fine without it. And uh, so I largely didn't do well with it. And so clearly I didn't understand how integral he really is. And so this article. For months, Netrunner has been getting more and more tilted in favor of the runner, especially in high level play. Jeff Hollis made an excellent post about win rates at high-elo netrunner play. For high-skill players playing against each other, runners had a 60-40 advantage. If the runner was criminal, it was close to 70-30. This data was taken across all time, including plenty of games from the earlier sets where the runner advantage was smaller. I'll mention that this, is da- this data he's referring to is from... Octagon, the forerunner of Genteki.net, where the there was data for each game. Like here's what the, I don't know how, what how extensive the data was, but at the very least, it said here's who this different size were and who won. Playing with the newer sets was even worse, as all runners had received strong economy cards like Catty Jones and good attack options like R and D Interface, but Corpse still weren't getting much. Each set, one corp would get something nice, like Project Beal, and every runner would get cool things, and the options for viable corp decks got smaller and smaller. But for the average player, netrunner was still close to 50-50, and for inexperienced players, corps did well, and runners routinely got wrecked by last-click runs into Ichis, snares, scorch combos, and so on. Then, creation and control was released cnc's effect on the balance between corp and runner was like anakin turning evil and murdering all the little jedi kids in the temple that must be some movie reference runners got so many good cards from that set helping every aspect of their game daily casts and dirty laundry for economy same old thing to allow even more abusive account siphons sahas rawa was the best thing ever for noise even better than workshop and could be good for shapers too Otman meant that entire swaths of ice strength can be nullified at once, especially when combined with data suckers. Clone chip and scavenge meant recurring parasites and imps in Shaper. Professional contacts was an improvement over the traditional magnum opus Shaper economy. Self-modifying code meant instant speed tutoring for needed icebreakers mid-run. What did corpse get? archeology arcology is decent. Efficiency Committee is better than PSF, that's Private Security Force, for HB Fast Advance. Bastion is pretty much like more wall of static. Data Pike is a more expensive Enigma. All the Bioroid 2.0s are just more expensive, bigger versions that end up not being as viable because they are too dang expensive in a world of emergency shutdown. And if you Bioroid Efficiency Research, a Heimdall 2.0 or Janus, your shaper opponent can just tutor up a deus ex, break and derez it. And criminal can either shut down it or break it with E3. Some decent cards, and nothing amazing. And as to win rates, this happened. July, near 50-50. August, almost 55-45 in the runner's favor as of mid-August. Take that 70-30 experience that high-level players were experiencing in their games and make it 75-25. Playing corp against a strong runner became almost hopeless. Scoring seven was almost a pipe dream. And if you tried to kill the runner and they were prepared, you have to deal with things like tutorable recurring Deus Ex, which is already something to include to handle oversighted Janus's. Everyone has been feeling the pain when playing Corp. And it just gets worse the higher you are up the food chain. But, little did we know that far off on the planet of Tatooine, that Obi-Wan Lucas has been raising a young Jedi named Jackson Howard. Jackson Howard is a game changer, but this time, for the Corp side, a new hope. How good is he? Well he might be the best card printed in any of the eight non-core expansions. While the good 3-2 agendas are better for their particular corpse, at an influence cost of one, Jackson helps all corpse. But I said card, not corp card. Yes, Jackson Howard might be better than any runner card since account siphon. What were the best cards from Genesis Cycle? Imp. Plascrete Carapace, emergency shutdown, personal workshop, Andromeda, Cotty Jones, quality time, R and D interface, Project Atlas, fetal AI, trick of light, Project Vitruvius, Project Beal, pop-up window, Hokusai Grid, Bernice Mai, Eli 1.0. Most of those cards helped one faction a ton. Or were metacards like Plazcrete. Some of them helped all factions a good amount, like pop up window or Cotty Jones. Runners got great economy, ways to answer ice and attack options. Corps mostly got one good agenda each, and a nice zero cost ice. Jackson Howard is at least on par with the top runner cards, and better for all four corp factions combined than any other card since Corset. Okay, enough hyping him. OMG, Alex, all I've read for the last two days is you hyping Jackson Howard. Why is he that good? First off, Jackson serves two roles. First, as a draw engine. Second, as a way to move cards from archives to R&D. Both are strong, and he is very good at both finally his res cost of 3 and trash cost I'm sorry res cost of 0 and trash cost of 3 now 2 make him very easy to use viable to place undefended and help reduce his worst case scenario to things like i got to draw extra cards and then my opponent had to spend a click and an imp token or $3 or I played him face down, and my opponent ran through two ice to check him out, and then I shuffled three things back into my R&D. Jackson Jedi Power number 1 Jackson as a Draw Engine Getting to draw two for a click helps us improve the efficiency of any cards in our deck that aren't click-intensive. It makes burst economy, like hedge fund stronger. It makes spamming things like Pad Campaign stronger, which in turn also makes things that are good at killing these stronger, like Wizard, Imp, Bank Job, and Parisia It makes cards that allow us to install several cards at once stronger. Mirror Morph is now playable. Probably not strong, but at least playable. It makes cards that reward us for spamming out cards stronger, like Alex. It makes piling up cheap upgrades like Bernice Mai and Red Herrings into our servers stronger. Finally, it makes our combos easier to find quickly, helping us to pull off that Scorch-C-Source combo. It makes click-intensive effects weaker. Melange Mining Corp. becomes a bit weaker, though still not bad. But you might prefer to simply get a lot of burst economy in your deck, draw them with Jackson, and play them. Jackson is simply the best way to draw cards. If you played Anonymous Tip, needing money or ice, and it gave you more agendas, you probably lost. If Jackson gives you more agendas, you discard them and shuffle them into your deck. If he gives you ice and money, you're happy. And the runner has to run and pay money to get rid of him. Jackson Jedi Power number 2 Countering Noise Is noise milling agendas into your archives? Just shuffle them back in. Because you can do this instantly, it is a strong counter. Noise cannot build up six viruses on a workshop run archives, dump a bunch of cards into it mid-run, and then access the agendas. If Jackson is in play, you can simply put the agendas back into your deck instantly. Protecting Jackson will be important in this matchup as Noyes will want to kill him before his big milling. If Noyes doesn't have workshop but is instead milling over time, then protecting archives well and putting out Jackson once something actually gets in there would be a good option. Guarding archives wasn't a good solution before, because noise only ever had to get in once, near the end of the game. But now, a couple ice on archives, making him not want to run often, combined with Jackson, and you're pretty safe. If Jackson didn't do anything else, you might include him if you expected lots of noise, but overall, noise would only suffer if he was expected to be dominant, because most people wouldn't include Jackson in their deck. It's like Plascrete. If you expect No Scorched Earths, you don't play it. If most people don't play it, it doesn't hurt Wayland. But Jackson Howard isn't one-dimensional. He crushes noise as a side effect of doing tons of other great things. It's as if you combined plazcrete and quality time into one card. $3, hardware, shaper, one influence. When you play quality plazcrete, draw five cards. Put four power counters on quality plazcrete. Remove one to prevent one meat damage. How many quality plazcretes would get played? Three in every deck ever. When you take a strong meta card and make it universally playable as well, then it is a part of every deck and the part of the meta that it counters is dead. Noise is dead. Like completely, utterly screwed. Wizard Siphon Denial with Rooks, or a new Reina Roja Denial deck with Kaisa programs are the future of Anarch Now. Nietzsche. God is dead. God. Nietzsche is dead. Jackson Howard. Noise is dead. This one we are certain about. Maybe you can still do okay with noise. You'll be fighting an uphill battle trying to mill people, but maybe you can use it as a small bonus while you also medium-dig them. Force the corp to defend a Jackson Howard in play, holding it until you mill some agendas. But noise being dominant? That time is over. The professional contact's parasite-recurring Kate deck is better than him now. Andromeda is way better than him now. Heck, Wizard might be better than him now jackson jedi power number three avoiding agenda flood hands that automatically lose the game jackson helps you avoid agenda flood we've all experienced those games where we mulligan into a bad hand or we keep a one agenda hand draw an agenda for our first turn draw draw an agenda for our second turn draw and draw an agenda when we play green level clearance Draw four agendas right away, and we have this hand entirely full of agendas and not enough ice or money to do anything about it. You can try to just slap agendas into play and hope the runner doesn't run them, but it's almost always a losing proposition no matter what you do. Jackson saves us from that scenario. Hands that don't automatically lose the game. Play Jackson. Draw two, draw two. Discard, accelerated beta test, priority requisition, priority requisition. Once the runner runs either Archives or Jackson, sacrifice him to shuffle them into R&D. We get to make the runner waste a click too, which is nice. Or if they delay, we can continue drawing too. Suddenly, we have a reasonable hand again, and most of the agendas are gone. Essentially, Jackson is the best rework ever. Rather than just losing you cards and only getting rid of one agenda, Jackson first gains you cards and then gets rid of three agendas. Are you getting ravaged by Gabriel early on, and your HQ agendas are unsafe? Just draw cards, pitch them, shuffle them. Suddenly your HQ has nothing. And while he can get two credits off it, he won't score points. You know how don't draw agendas early has historically been your best defense against criminals? Jackson can create that game state for you. I feel that this is actually the most major benefit of Jackson, the super rework. The corp can do well when it draws the correct number of agendas. If it draws agendas when it needs them, but not extras to sit around being vulnerable, Jackson helps you get exactly the correct number of agendas. Don't have enough? He draws fast. Have too many? You can discard them and shuffle them back in. This use alone would make Jackson a great card. All the other versatile uses just make him better. Jackson Jedi Power number 4. Recurring Snares Jackson shuffles snares and even fetal AIs back into R&D to defend against multi-R&D access strategies. These snares and fetals in R&D are a major part of the Gentechi R&D defense and can result in random wins. Snares in other corps as well, like Wayland, can be very deadly. Many times, the best place for your snares and fetals is in your R&D, and Jackson lets you discard them and shuffle them back into it. He even lets you recur used snares back into your deck, which can greatly increase your chances of running the runner out of cards in their deck, followed by flatline victory. Shuffling snares into R&D is going to be a big deal, and you're going to see a lot of it, not just in Genteki, but in decks from a variety of corps that can follow up you hitting a snare by using false lead and killing you with Scorched Earth or PSF. Jackson Jedi Power Number 5. Breaking R&D Lock The runner has two R&D interfaces out. They run R&D and look at three cards. When you clear through those cards, they do it again. You can't draw the agendas you need in order to score your final points. With Jackson, at the end of the runner turn, you use him to shuffle your R&D. Then you get to draw a different card at the start of your turn and can draw additional potential agendas without digging through the card the runner already saw first. It's even better if you just shuffle some snares back in. Decks like NBN and HB Fast Advance will enjoy this the most. Alternately, your HQ might also be vulnerable, but you can win the game if the first card you draw for the turn is an agenda. NBN at 5 points with an Astroscript counter available, for example. Maybe the runner is dominating you, and if you don't get the agenda on the first draw and score it right away, they can get it from your hand or from play. Under R&D lock, this first draw agenda won't be coming. But if you shuffle with Jackson at the end of the runner turn, it just might, so you still have a chance. Jackson Jedi Power Number 6. Indexing Counter Jackson can counter indexing. Did your shaper opponent just indexing you, sticking two agendas on top, and then they ran R and D again? Activate your Jackson and shuffle that deck. Now the runner just gets a random card. Jackson Jedi Power Number seven. Safe beta tests. HB can beta test at will with Jackson in play, and if they whiff and put agendas into archives, they can just shuffle them back in. Previously, This required either an over-advanced Vitruvius or that you score the beta test with an extra click remaining and an archived memories in hand. Even then, it didn't protect up to three agendas, and the agendas went into your hand, which might not have been what you wanted. Jackson Jedi Power Number 8. Celebrity Gift Mind Games Celebrity Gift is a new card from Opening Moves allowing you to gain 7 credits for 2 clicks, but you must show the runner 5 cards from your hand. This is a good card with a drawback. But Jackson overcomes the drawback. Draw 2 with Jackson. Play Celebrity Gift showing 5 cards to the runner, including some agendas, to get plus 7 credits. Discard some cards. Did you discard the agendas? Did you hold them? The runner doesn't know. Jackson has just negated the drawback of Celebrity Gift, allowing you to play a big hedge fund and then mess with your opponent's head. If you can successfully keep agendas in your hand, but also throw the runner off of your hand, that's amazing. Alternately, if you pitch all your agendas and then they waste time on your hand, that's great too. Jinteki just loves these mind games. And honestly, so should every other corp. Play NBN with three splashed celebrity gifts for economy? Sounds good. You have no idea if I just pitched the agendas and running my hand will be a waste of time or if my hand still contains that Project Beal and you need to run it or else I'll score it on my sand San that I can now afford to res. Jackson Jedi Power number 9 Burst Economy Recursion and R&D Protection Jackson can be used to improve your R&D defense. Are you in a situation where R&D is very vulnerable? R&D interface or medium, and the runner keeps killing your ice there, but your HQ is safe and the runner is uninterested in it. You can use Jackson to draw a bunch of cards, get a couple agendas, and then shuffle three non-agendas back into your deck, improving its ratio of agendas to non-agenda cards. The recycled cards might even be things like Hedge Fund that you would love to draw again, or San San City Grid, or Celebrity Gift. Maybe they're used biotic labors, and when you draw them again, you can fast advance the agendas that are now safely in your HQ. At the end of the day, using Jackson this way helps you make R&D slightly less favorable to run for agendas, while helping you reuse powerful cards. Jackson Jedi Power Number 10 Jackson's invulnerability to bank job and dirty laundry. One of the drawbacks of assets is that you either have to defend them or you place them out in the open and open yourself up to a bank job. As soon as you put a pad campaign or whatever in your deck, you basically turn on any opposing bank jobs. But that's not the case with Jackson. You can play Jackson intend to put him into play undefended and still not be vulnerable. As soon as the runner puts out a bank job and runs him, you simply activate his ability. He is gone. There are no longer any cards in the server, and the run ends. It's not successful. The runner can't bank job. They can't get money from Desperado. They can't get money from Dirty Laundry if they played it. Tip. Never Dirty Laundry at an Undefended Jackson. Note that this also helps guard your face-down unprotected assets from being hit by dirty laundry. If they try this and your card is a Jackson Howard, you activate him, end the run, and they're out two bucks in the card. Note, this does not result in an unsuccessful run either, so sadly you can't play successful demonstration. How good would that be? Summary at an influence cost of one, Jackson represents tremendous value to all corps. Wayland loves drawing to get their burst economy and kill combo and loves recycling snares. Jinteki loves using Jackson after revealing their hand with Celebrity Gift and discarding. They also love recycling snares. NBN loves to draw spammable annoyances like Bernice Mai. Evade R&D locks that are preventing them from scoring the final needed points and could even use snares in a never-advanced-type strategy with edge-of-world, snare, and private security force. HB loves risk-free beta tests. Every corp loves to discard agendas when flooded with them and then shuffle them back in. Every corp loves countering noise. Jackson isn't just a high upside card he is allow a low downside card as well. With res cost 0 and trash cost 3, you never lose any credits using him, but the runner might lose credits on him. He almost always costs the runner at least as much effort to deal with as you spend getting him, and there is high potential to get bonus draws from him before he goes away. Even when using him to discard and shuffle in agendas, You can force the runner to lose a click in order to eliminate him and his draw power from the board. Either they run him and then you use him, or they run archives and then you use him. He can't be bank jobbed. Jackson provides a new hope to Corpse in a world where runners are stomping all over them and the runner advantage is present at all levels of play. For the first time in many sets, the Corp received more from a pack than runners, and the gain is for every corp, not just one faction. When constructing corp decks in the future, I strongly recommend that you begin them with two or three Jackson Howard and then work to fill in the remaining 46 cards. If you don't know what to cut, cut your worst couple ice. He will help you to draw extra ice, and then the average ice you get will be better. And the extra agendas he draws you while finding that ice, he can put back in your deck if needed. And let me just insert here, this is why the big boy says that 19 ice is okay before Jackson, but 17 ice is all you need after Jackson because he can help you find the ice you need. He will make your deck better. He will perform solidly every game, and sometimes he will completely save you. Play your snares, play your burst economy, find your kill combo, activate your beta tests, use Jackson as a super rework, or play mind games with the runner. Counter noise, weaken Gabe's early HQ pressure, and kill Kate by hitting her with recurred snares as she tries to R&D lock you, followed by double scorch through her plascrete. That, again, is a whole article about Jackson Howard, which I will link in the show notes. (music) Enigma. Jackson Howard. So, you see this picture of Jackson Howard? He's just this guy with a big old smile and a bunch of cute, cuddly toys on his desk. So as was quoted by somebody on Reddit, once upon a time, there was a conversation between Damon, Damon Stone, one of the, the eventual lead developer, a couple of years in, but a developer all along with the game, and a fan, and it went like this. Damon, Jackson Howard is in charge of programming for children. Fan, it's cool that with everything else, NBN still makes kids shows. Damon. Is that what I said? Many of the cards discussed in this week's episode are linked in the show notes. Music is from Alexi Action. The website is netrunner2.1.com. It redirects to the Reboot Project homepage. You can find a link to the Discord server there or in the show notes. Go to the Discord server to find games. Just getting started on the latest pre-constructed league... Hey, maybe you can squeeze in there. If a couple extra people jump in, there might be time. I don't know. Give it a try. You can play online at retechi.fun, and contact information for me is in the show notes. So for the Astroscript pilot program this time around, I'm actually going to do something a little different. Rather than do either the worlds of Android or even the flavor insert from opening moves, I'm going to do a part of the flavor insert from Data and Destiny, which is the fourth deluxe expansion. It's about Victoria Jenkins, but I'm going to use it because Jackson Howard is sort of a a main character in that flavor. So we'll take a look at that. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Victoria Jenkins Jacob, please tell Mr. Howard that I will see him now. Yes, Miss Victoria. Her digital secretary would have already told Howard that he was to report to her office, but appearances mattered. Victoria moved her chaise along and set down a cup of cava next to her pad. The overruns in Howard's latest project were a cause of concern for Keith Randolph Kane and anything that concerned the president of the board, concerned her. He still saw her as the model she had been, and not the CEO of the largest media empire in the solar system. Jackson Howard entered, a smile on his face and a small green dinosaur plush toy under his arm. Victoria let herself smile. Howard wasn't the enemy. Yet. Thank you for your promptness, Jackson. May I call you Jackson? She gestured him to come closer to her, where he shifted awkwardly. Please tell me about the overruns concerning your little dino there. Jackson's smile slipped just a little. Uh, Of course. He held up the toy as if for protection. Rexy! is a prototype learning matrix powered by a micro-optic brain Capa a what? Did you just say a micro-optic brain? You built a micro-optic brain for an educational toy? Don't you think that is a little extravagant? Victoria thumbed her pad, bringing up the tech documentation. It seems you were told to build an educational toy that could interact and teach two- to six-year-olds, capable of tailoring the education to each child. Your optic brain costs 25 times your total budget, treads dangerously close to Haas-Bioroid patents for their Bioroid brains, and could outperform, well, any computer in this room. Explain, please. Well, It occurred to me that a toy that could teach and adapt to very young children could also report on what it learned from them and their family. It could integrate itself with the family unit and anticipate the needs of the children. Howard looked uncomfortable, like he wanted to bolt from the office. Go on. We could then take that data and compile it to create better psychographic profiles for secondary consumer forces. Rexy would know them better than they know themselves. Jackson's smile was back in place and practically ear to ear now. I see one thing that you have not taken into account. I. My calculations predict an ROI of at least 23% with the improved data, and the end-user agreement would protect us legally. I like your vision, Jackson, but the scope is wrong. With a toy capable of teaching, adapting, and accessing the net, we can do so much more. She graced him with a rare, genuine smile. You will report directly to me. We'll need to give you a raise, a new lab, and, of course, a title to justify all of this. Let's call it Vice President of Child Programming.